0: Hi everybody, welcome to today's webinar titled Personal Leadership at the Nexus of Lean and Zen. I'm Mark Graven, VP of Improvement and Innovation Services for Kinexus and I will be the moderator today and I'm very happy to be joined by a, a longtime friend and colleague uh, out in the lean blogging community, he is Kevin Meyer and, and he's known for better things than being a blogger. He is going to be our uh, presenter today. But Kevin Meyer currently spends most of his time with Gemba Academy. They are a company that has been uh, a great partner of ours here in Kinexus. A lot of our Kinexus customers um, are also Gemba Academy customers. We love their videos. Um, Kevin co-founded that organization in 2009. They provide over 1,000 online Lean and Six Sigma training videos to over 2,000 organizations worldwide. For the past 30 years, Kevin has been in a variety of executive leadership roles, primarily in the medical device industry with prior exposure to other industries. His background is in engineering and operations with a focus on Lean manufacturing and Lean leadership. Kevin started his blog. um, He now blogs at KevinMeyer.com. Originally, his blog, Evolving Excellence, Uh, was founded in November 2004, which uh, was just a couple of months before I founded leanblog.org. So that's how I met Kevin, and uh, amongst those early bloggers, Kevin especially has been um, nothing but collaborative and helpful. I've always found him to be thoughtful and and reflective, and so um, I think we are are all set for uh, a great webinar on Lean and Zen. So Kevin, I'll hand it off to you.
1: All right, thanks, Mark. Um, Yes, it's been a long road that the last almost 14 years, I guess. But um, just some brief background on myself. I did get a degree in uh, chemical engineering from Rensselaer a long, long time ago. Went to work for Nestle, made bouillon cubes, none of the fun stuff, for a couple of years. Made light bulbs for Sylvania for a few years. Came out to the West Coast and uh, worked for Abbott, making uh, pole-mounted infusion pumps for about 10 years. Um, and that's that's where I discovered lean. Uh, I was put in charge of a large molding facility with about 60 heavy presses that was behind schedule and uh, needed to figure that situation out. And uh, was pointed in the direction of a quick changeover, and, and the rest is history. I, I was sold from that point on. Uh, moved back out to California to jump into telecom photonics and. Uh, the about 2000, which was the exact wrong time, and uh, the industry went off a cliff a year later. Uh, started a little contract manufacturing company that was uh, sold to our one and only customer about a year after that. Did some consulting, uh, mostly in lean, and found myself at a uh, medical device company called Specialty Silicon, where I was president for eight years. And it was there that I really got to play with some of the lean concepts, and. Um, also met uh, my business partners at uh, Gimba Academy, Ron Pereira and John Miller. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about Gimba Academy in a little bit. And uh, lately I've been working quite a bit with the startup community on the California Central Coast as part of Slow Seed Ventures. So just briefly on Gimba Academy, uh, we're actually pushing about 1,300 videos now on Lean and Six Sigma. Um, to a wide variety of organizations. When we started, we thought it would be small manufacturers, but it now runs the gamut to very large multinationals, and uh, probably more than 50% of our customers are no longer even in manufacturing. So it really shows how Lean has branched outside of manufacturing over the last several years. Uh, You can find out more at GimbaAcademy.com. So what I'll talk about today is a uh, just a very brief introduction to Zen. And then um, where Lean and Zen overlap, which has become very interesting to me over the last few years. And then uh, taking it outside of applying Lean and Zen to uh, uh, the business world, but more to personal leadership, uh, which has become an interest of mine uh, lately. And then a couple of key components of that that I'll spend a little bit more time on of optimizing the best part of your day and then how to grow as a person and as a leader. So I'm not going to spend too much time on Lean, because if you uh, come to these podcasts, you already know quite a bit. But I want to emphasize a key point that, uh, that Lean is not about the tools. It's an operating philosophy. Tools are just tools. And uh, we'll find that Zen is the same way. So a very, very brief introduction to Zen. Uh, Zen is a uh, form of Buddhism. Buddhism came about in the 6th century BC when the uh, Indian prince, Siddhartha Gautama, uh, was trying to find meaning in life and trying to figure out what he was about. And after many years of contemplation, which turned into meditation, uh, underneath a bodhi tree, um, he uh, became what Buddhists call enlightened, understanding your true self and true meaning. Uh, Zen uh, is a form of Buddhism, like a large face that has many branches, um, and Zen is just uh, one small branch of one of the three main branches, Uh, but that's the one that uh, you've probably heard of the most. The difference with Zen is that it really goes back to the original core of Buddhism. Uh, Before a lot of the the writings uh, that... Then took it in, into different paths. It brings it back to the core, which is a focus on the here and now and the present, really focusing on what is happening right now, being aware of what is ha- happening right now, and using that information to act and think with intention, uh, being very deliberate with what you do. It's a search for truth, and then uh, meditation, which is a core part of Zen, and Buddhism overall, is to create that awareness. So let's go into uh, some of the overlap. And starting off, uh, just like lean, uh, Zen is not about the tools. It is not about just meditation. It is not about just simplicity. Uh, Those are all uh, tools for a greater good, which is the awareness of self and the awareness of the present. Just like lean is an operating philosophy with many tools like 5S. You may think that. Since the uh, word Zen is in Kaizen, there's a a relationship there. There really isn't. Yeah, Kaizen is a word uh, uh, comprised of Kai and Zen, change for the good, whereas Zen is really just a Japanese pronunciation of uh, a Chinese word derived from a Sanskrit word that means meditative state. So there's really no relationship there, even though Zen is part of Kaizen. A symbol that. Is commonly used with Zen that you may have seen, because a lot of corporate logos uh, like to incorporate it, is the insole, uh, which is open. It's an open circle indicating the opportunity for improvement while striving for perfection. And isn't that what lean uh, is really about as well? Uh, Always trying to improve while measuring yourself against perfection. Uh, Buddha said, be a lamp unto yourselves and what that means. And this is where Buddhism is Uh, rather different from any other faith in that it is very uh, pliable. Don't just accept, but test everything against experience. Accept what works, discard what doesn't, um, and compare yourself to uh, perfection. And this brings up sort of a pet peeve of mine uh, of benchmarking. Uh, I see way too many organizations and way too many people benchmark uh, their organization or themselves against others without understanding circumstance. And I'll, I'll have an example of that later on. So another overlap is the uh, concept of the beginner's mind. And you have Taichi Ono who said, observe without preconceptions and with a blank mind. Start you know, When you're observing something, start without any assumptions uh, you know, or, or ideas of how it can be improved. Just observe. And uh, the Zen master Suzuki said, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. So very similar concepts. Uh, You've probably seen this uh, picture of Steve Jobs in his living room. Uh, Steve was a uh, practicing Buddhist uh, for many years um, and uh, really believed in the the concept of minimalism. Intentionally owning only what is necessary. Being very aware of the value of what you own. Um, And So you think of that from a lean perspective and uh, inventory and activities. Uh, We always want to minimize The waste in those activities, getting rid of inventory. So in a way that is very similar to the concept of minimalism, just owning and and doing with intention. Observation of true reality, again a a Zen concept of being aware of the present, uh, very similar to what we do in Lean of uh, going to the Gemba to observe what is really going on. This picture is, uh, I took this several years ago, it's at the uh, Sheraton Hongkiao in uh, Shanghai. I had to wait quite a while to find the lobby with so few people, but uh, the guy sitting on the left there is uh, Thomas Mueller. He was the uh, general manager, and that is his office. His office was on the lobby floor of the Sheraton, and usually there's 100 people there mulling around, but he felt that is where he could get the pulse of his hotel and really know what's going on. So he worked from there all day long, talking with people, no cubicle walls, just working on his computer. If he had to go to a meeting or was out of town, his assistant would be sitting there, that they could observe what was really going on in in their hotel. Uh, Focus on the present. uh, Deeply understand the current state before making changes. Uh, In the uh, lean world, uh, when we do value stream mapping, for example, we, we spend quite a bit of time on current state. Um, But I've come to realize over the last couple of years that it's this deeply part that I don't think we're doing well enough, Um, really spending the most time on understanding the current state. And Kata teaches this uh, quite a bit too, deeply understand the current state before making changes, uh, identifying the facts and the situation. So it's really a focus on the present. Reflection. um, In the Zen world, there's a lot of reflection as part of the meditative process to understand what's really going on in the uh, lean world it is probably the most powerful yet underutilized tool in uh, in lean uh, hansei uh, in, in lean but reflecting on on uh, what you expected to happen what really happened what you can learn from it from a personal standpoint this is you can do the same of uh, on you know at, at many kinds of intervals uh, this picture is uh, of the beach a couple of blocks from my house. Uh, I'm in a very small town in California, so unlike probably what a lot of you think of California, they they aren't crowded beaches. This is a five-mile stretch with a uh, extinct volcano at one end. And it's a very nice place to walk and reflect and look back on uh, what has happened and see how you can improve. We'll talk more about reflection in a little bit. Balance and harmony. Again, in, in the Zen world, having only what you need, Everything that you do, being very aware, very intentional, having all activities in balance and harmony, you think about it from a lean perspective uh, of just in time and flow and Kanban. Only getting the materials and the processes you need at the exact right time, happening only when you need it, um, is also a balance and harmony. Uh, humility. A uh, core component of Buddhism, uh, uh, this particular picture is in Cambodia at Angkor Tom, uh, just outside Angkor Wat. But uh, We saw it in Laos and elsewhere where the, uh, you know, the monks are, are fed by the people. They're very humble. They, they rely on society for sustenance. And in the, uh, the lean world, humility is a part of respect for people. It's treating others with respect, uh, teaching, challenging, listening mindfully. So let's talk a little bit about how to apply some of this to personal leadership now, which can be very similar to professional leadership, but uh, think about it from your own perspective. Reflection, again, probably the most underutilized but most powerful uh, tool uh, in Lean. and doing this on regular intervals, you know, what worked, what didn't, what should I stop doing, what did I learn. Uh, back at uh, the medical advice company I used to run, we had daily reflection, was part of our daily stand up meetings. And then about once a quarter, my staff, the executive staff, would go off site and we'd spend the day reflecting on what happened against uh, what we wanted to happen, what did we learn, what should we stop doing, what should we start doing. Uh, From a personal standpoint, I do this daily in the evenings as well, what happened during the day, did I accomplish what I wanted, what barriers did I encounter, and what can I change so that I can improve for tomorrow. On a monthly basis, I go a little deeper, quarterly go even deeper, and then annually I've been uh, spending a couple weeks away at the end of each year, and uh, some portion of that time is spent on reflection as well of the past year. What do I want to change? What do I want to do for the next year? Are, is my own personal why and values and principles still uh, aligned? So what is, what is your why? Um, I'm personally sort of a skeptic of vision and mission statements. Most of them are just words on a wall. So I've had a lot more success with organizations and then people uh, on a personal level uh, talking about what is the why, and defining what is that personal why. What is important to you? What do you want to do? uh, And uh, what is important? And then aligned with that as well are are principles. And those provide sort of the framework around the why. What what kinds of things won't you cross? And and from a personal standpoint, that can be religious or family issues, ethical and moral. Um, From a professional example, I mentioned one before with benchmarking. I'd have an example, but the the medical device company I used to run was owned by a couple of Catholics, and we made silicone medical devices. And there were certain very lucrative parts of that market that we did not get into intentionally because of those principles. And that cost us money, but that was fine. And everyone knew it, and everyone understood it, and everyone respected that. But you look at that again from, uh, I mentioned on benchmarking, if someone benchmarked against our company, there is a, a large source of very profitable revenue that we intentionally did not get into that would have skewed the metrics that others were looking at, so um, be very careful with that. But principles are something that from an organization you'd, you'd pretty much be willing to sacrifice the organization to maintain. They're that powerful. Develop a personal hotion plan. Um, it, if you're. Uh, Working on a lean journey, you've probably started to work on a Hoshin plan for your lean organization. But think about it from a personal perspective as well. Uh, deeply understand the current state. And again, I'll emphasize deeply. You know, what are the facts and the situation around you? you know, observe the current state from a beginner's mind perspective, without assumptions, without jumping to conclusions. And identify a future state. What, From a personal pr- perspective, what might that be? Uh, you where do you want to retire, at what point, what knowledge do you want to have, what changes do you want to make? And then uh, go down the ocean plan of, you know, what objectives can you achieve in three years? What goals can be set for this year? What is the next step, or what is the experiment that you can run um, to take you further on that? And can someone be a coach or mentor on that journey with you? And once you have that, that plan, uh, then the hard part comes as well. You know, what projects and activities don't align with that? In the, in the corporate world, uh, you get a lot of politics involved. You get a lot of people with stake, you know, that are stakeholders and projects that may not be aligned. Uh, that becomes very difficult to start shedding those projects. Uh, from a personal standpoint, it can also be hard. Uh, I'm one of those types that chases a lot of shiny balls. And um, when I started to work on this type of activity, it was very difficult for me to Stop doing things. Um, A great book, though, on this is Essentialism by Greg McAllen. I read this two or three years ago. I think uh, I was on my my annual reflection, and I think it was in Panama that time. But he talks a lot about how to just say no, both to yourself and to others, with dignity and respect. And um, you'll be amazed at how much time you free up by having your plan um, and then making sure everything you're working on aligns with that. The intentional routine. So it's not just a routine, it's an intentional routine. Uh, You've thought about the things you're doing. You've become aware of them. And that reflection turns those habits into intention. Uh, This is uh, Benjamin Franklin's uh, page from his uh, journal. You can see on the right where, in effect, he has standard work on what he does during the day. He gets up, he works, he reads, um, and so forth. And then on the left is his reflection. The morning question, what good shall I do this day? Then the evening question, of what good have I done today? So he's he's got a routine. He reflects on the routine. By doing so, it becomes an intentional routine. And just like standard work, a routine that is an intentional routine is not a hindrance. It's a baseline from which you can improve, make improvements. Declutter and minimize. Um, Once you are steeped in the lean world for a while, you start to bring that home anyway. I've known some lean people that have incredibly neat garages. They apply 5S to their garage, but they think about everything they have at home, and activities they do at home. And there is an intention behind that. There is value, defined value for everything that's there. Um, I'm wrapping up a, uh, a remodel of a house we bought several months ago. And um, to the horror of our real estate agent, uh, one of the first things we did was rip out a lot of the cabinets. We wanted less storage, because that less storage uh, would hold less stuff, less non-value added stuff that was sitting around. Uh, We also did some things like eliminating doors. We changed some uh, swing doors to barn doors so that we would save that swing space. Uh, We tried to reduce horizontal surfaces. Uh, This has always been a pet peeve of mine. If you have a horizontal surface, surface, you start to just set things on it. It's one reason I I like flat screen TVs, because the old tube TVs inevitably had stuff just stacked on top. I do know of some people that have uh, applied Kanban to their uh, cupboards and their uh, pantry and a refrigerator. That's probably going a little bit too far, in my opinion. But um, that's a possibility. So a couple of special areas I wanted to talk about. Um, Optimizing the best part of the day, so identifying what the best part of the day is and then optimizing it so you increase your productivity. So First off, just in terms of the tasks, uh, a a concept that I came across um, uh, several years ago and I've been using uh, quite a bit since then is just identifying each day what three things, what three tasks do I want to get done. Um, and uh, you know, we all have probably long task lists, but let's think about just three of those items. And What are those three and just work on those for the day. It's amazing how much you get done during the week if you identify just three tasks and you nail those three each day. And then at the, in the evening reflection, reflecting on the, that performance and uh, how did you do on those three tasks? What could you learn? Uh, what do you need to improve on so that you can accomplish the three uh the next day? the hour of power we all have a certain part of the day when we're most productive um and so through reflection and uh thinking about it you know, find find that hour what is that hour for me i'm a I'm a morning person I never set an alarm, and I'm always up at four thirty or five. And I have found that the most productive part of my day is uh, usually between 6.30 and 7.30. So that is when I will tackle my hardest project, uh, the worst of the big three that I want to work on. Um, so I'll usually be getting up at you know, 4.30 or 5.00, I'll have a, a quick breakfast, maybe hit the gym for a while. 6.30, I'm cranking on that, that first project. Then the rest of the morning is also productive for me. So that's when I really try to work on the other two items. And then the afternoon is when I spend time on phone calls and uh, items that don't require as much creativity. So I protect that time, and I optimize that time. And uh, one way I optimize that time is by removing all distractions. I'm someone that I can be doing a web search on some lean term. The next thing I know, I'm, I'm watching those stupid cats on YouTube. So you know, to, uh, to stay focused, I use what's called the Pomodoro method. Uh, I clean the desk. I clean the desktop. I shut down every application. And for 45 minutes, I'll just crank on that one task. I'll then take a 15-minute break. And then uh, when that is over, I'll set uh, the alarm for another 45 minutes, and I'll just crank on that same task until it's done or onto the next task. Journaling, again, something that's very powerful, very rarely done. Um, I keep a journal, I I put in there what my big three are going to be for the day. I uh, write down my reflection on a daily, monthly, quarterly, annual basis, and then the notes during the day, and then, you know, how did I do on those big three? Um, What can I change for the next day? Uh, I've tried the electronic journals, uh, uh, I've got an iPad, I use an iPad a lot, but I won't use it for journaling. It just does not work for me. Um, It is more searchable uh, if you need to refer back, but for me there's a lot to be gained by just writing by hand. Um, And there's a lot of studies on on the power of writing by hand as well. One that I came across just uh, a few months ago looked at university students where compared students that took notes on their computer with students that took notes uh, by hand and looked at retention and understanding right after the class and then a few weeks later. And in all cases, the people that wrote by hand, took notes by hand, had much higher retention and much higher understanding of the concept later on. Even if they did not refer back to their notes, there was something about writing by hand. Uh, Carl Sagan uh, has this quote that I liked, writing is simply thinking through my fingers. You see the same thing uh, with uh, whiteboards where you record metrics in your operation, whether it's a factory floor or accounts favorable or wherever, if you record those metrics by hand instead of just typing them into a computer, you begin to see the relationships and have a better understanding of the numbers. So finally, let's talk about um, how to use some of this to, to grow as a person and as a leader. And just uh, three short concepts here. Uh, continue to learn. The best leaders are the best learners. This is something I've learned over the years, uh, especially when recruiting for executive positions. I've found that the uh, the best leaders are the ones that are voracious learners. they they'll either reading or finding other ways to learn. But then they go the, the next steps, and they distill that knowledge and then they apply that knowledge. And then, probably most importantly, they teach that knowledge. So that has become a key part of when I'm recruiting for executive positions, especially, but even at all levels, uh, looking at uh, what do, how are they as a learner? What have they learned recently? And I'll ask those questions. What have you learned recently? And what have you done with that knowledge? And the ones that have taken that knowledge and taught it, even if it's completely unrelated to the skills I'm looking for have turned into the best leaders. Uh, at, at the medical advice company I used to run, we took this, we took this concept even further. Uh, I believe Steve Kane, uh, uh, who took over after me, uh, uh, did that at one of the facilities as well. Even at the uh, operator level, of uh, as part of the interviewing process of what have you learned and teach me uh, something. They had some of the engineers come in and give presentations on something unrelated but uh, but they had learned, and one uh, I remember uh, gave a presentation on how they were into bees and beekeeping, which then branched out into bees and organizational structures, and so on and so forth. It's fascinating. But you learn about the person, you learn what they're about, and you learn if they're they're into learning. Do something different every year. Um, this started off as sort of a informal goal of mine. Uh, probably 20 years ago, and has become much more formal over the last several years. But I've always tried to do something a little bit different to uh, uh, stretch my perceptions and, and knowledge. Um, and they have been a combination of uh, physical activities, such as learning to scuba dive, and to windsurf, and running a marathon, um, to more intellectual type pursuits. One year is a deep dive into Buddhism, and then to uh, passivate uh, some family members that got a little worked up over that. I spent a year digging into biblical history. Uh, One year, I uh, rebuilt a a Triumph Spitfire, and 73 Triumph Spitfire. And if you have ever worked on that particular vehicle, you know it's like working on a lawnmower, where every uh, part of the wiring code is yellow. So it's uh, interesting to work on. But I learned uh, HTML programming, which then led into uh, learning how to blog, and uh, you know, led uh, to some of the precursors of Gimba Academy. Even so, you never know where some of this new knowledge is going to take you. But by stretching yourself, by trying to learn something every year, and doing that with intention, um, you will grow. And then finally, uh, exploring the world. And I think this is something that uh, we do too little uh, with, but um, just visiting other parts of the world to uh, understand people and to, again, uh, widen your perceptions. I got a little bit of a head start on this um, by growing up overseas uh, 30 or 40 longer that, uh, years ago. Um, but by now, my wife and I have visited over 65 countries. So it's, it's sort of in our blood. Um, we've been here to Machu Picchu probably a half dozen times, I think, uh, in my lifetime. So. Just some encouragement to get out and see the rest of the world. So, um, I'll leave you with uh, one of my favorite quotes. This is by Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton's a an interesting guy. He's uh, he's he was a uh, a Catholic priest, but also took a deep dive into Buddhism. And and it is surprising how many uh, um, Catholic priests have been trying to find ways to integrate Buddhism into Catholicism. Um, and it's, there's not really a conflict, since uh, a lot of people don't even consider Buddhism to be a religion, because there is no deity. But the mindfulness a- aspects of it, the awareness aspects, are very powerful. And Thomas Merton said, living is the constant adjustment of thought to life, and life to thought, in such a way that we are always growing, always experiencing new things in the old and old things and new. This life is always new. So you're always learning and growing. So with that, uh, if you want to explore a little bit further, this is the uh, book I published last year, The Simple Leader, where I dig even deeper into some of these concepts.
0: Kevin, we've got um, questions coming in here. Um, Let's see. When you speak to folks who may not be, quote unquote, all in lean believers. Do you touch upon these concepts? If so, how would you rate the receipt of the message?
1: Uh, That's a good question. Usually, I'm either talking one or the other. It's only recently that uh, with the book last year and then a couple of presentations I've done earlier this year that I have really started to talk about the overlap. Um, But you're right. From a lean perspective, I would usually that they are not all in on lean yet. I would, I would just be talking lean, but I I think there's an interesting opportunity there because a lot of these concepts, that, you know, mindfulness is becoming very mainstream these days, um, and the mind, you know, being mindful, being aware of the moment, being in the current state, being very aware of the current state, obviously has a direct application to lean.
0: Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I sent some tweets at the beginning of the presentation with some of the things that you were saying. And when you talked about being present, and I started thinking of mindfulness, I stopped doing that and thought I was able to better focus on uh, the presentation. Um, so, a lot of good stuff. The stuff that would have been shareable, but uh, I was trying to uh, to focus there. Um, maybe you know, following up on the question, you know, uh, when, when we introduce lean to people, sometimes people get turned off by. Any number of things they choose to be turned off of. Um, Japanese words. Uh, if it's people in healthcare, they'll get turned off with um, associations or history from from manufacturing. when we think about um, whether it's Zen or uh, you know, kind of maybe broader understanding you might have of of Eastern cultures, where where do you where do you stand when when think about the spectrum of uh, Lean or you know the Toyota production system, any of these methods? How much of it is based on having you know, "quote unquote," uh, a classical sort of you know Eastern mindset. I mean, clearly, people in the West are able to adopt these methods. Maybe it's because they sort of intuitively share these mindsets. Where 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 do you stand on this? I'm, I'm sure it's um, not one extreme or the other.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's not. I mean, it's, it. I think when you break it down to you're looking at a process, then that flows across everything. That no longer becomes East or West. You know, where, where some of the interesting components come in is that. The, uh, the Eastern cultures tend to be more community focused, whereas in, in the West we tend to be more individual focused, and that uh, creates some some potential conflicts there, uh, here and there, especially with uh, maybe the, the respect for principal aspects of Lean, or respect for people aspects of Lean, which you know, truly translate as respect for humanity. They, you know, Toyota takes it much broader, even. Um, and so I think that, that kind of a concept may be a little bit easier to understand in the East than the West. Uh, but uh, when you think about uh, it's not about making cars, it's not about uh, you know, straighten a factory floor, it's, it's about improving a process and taking the waste out of a process um, and just making the process as efficient as, as possible.
0: Yeah, so it's very fair to say that that understanding of Zen may be additive to somebody's knowledge and experience uh, with Lean, but it, it's 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 not a prerequisite or a requirement. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, another question here um, on on gamble walks. Our executives are always moving. Um, are there ways to sort of try to encourage them to to slow down and and be present to maybe actually stand. In a spot for a minute to better understand true reality. Do you have any thoughts about that tied
1: to the workplace? No, but I don't know why it popped in my head. But uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen. Uh, I think it's that gorilla video on YouTube, right? <laughs> Where you know, if you're if you're moving, you it, it's amazing what you miss. And um, uh, you're correct. You know, if you just stand and you take that time. And you start off with you know, even just five minutes, you'll be amazed at what you see. As opposed to if you just walked through an area, um, getting your getting executives to do that to just stand is difficult. But um, uh, you know, in a factory setting or on a hospital floor, uh, I think you'd be amazed at what you see.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a chance. I convinced a hospital CEO. This is maybe like 10 years ago to come. And just stand and observe a nurse's station, which he had never really done. He had walked through there, he had been through there, but I think you know, I think about 30 minutes really helped him see the level of chaos that we you know that's something we, we were hoping to address. How hard people were working. Um, I think sometimes executives get disconnected and, and just don't see that daily reality. So I, I agree. It can be really, really helpful. But I, I, I think sometimes there's too much focus. If we, if we look at the phrase Gemba walk, there's too much focus on the walk instead yeah. of being in the Gemba. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if we called it a Gemba visit or Gemba, Gemba time. Gemba. I, I've seen some people who are like, every two or three minutes, they say, oh, our schedule says we have to go to a new place. And, yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's where yeah, that, that's what really impressed me with with uh, Thomas Mueller at the, the Sheraton Hongqiao was now, there was an executive. He didn't know anything about Lean. I ended up talking to him for a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, now he, he, I don't know if he didn't know anything about it, but it wasn't his focus. He just knew and had come to learn that you know, that is where his uh, hotel happened, was in the lobby floor. And he could tell everything that was going on there from being on that lobby floor. Therefore, that's where he was going to be. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think there are times where there's similar mindsets. I mean, lean probably was not his framework or his lens, but I mean, I think sometimes we see just uh, similar thoughts, let's say, like in the patient safety movement, the idea of not blaming individuals for systemic problems. That sounds like lean, but people can share and espouse and practice that view, even if it's outside the context of lean.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Um, Question uh, about humility. That's a good question. Is it possible for somebody to become more humble over time?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I, I've seen that in my, you know, my personal growth actually, you know, when I started my career as one of these hard charging kind of people and you know, life throws some things at you and you realize you're not all that. And, uh, um, it's a very humbling experience. Sometimes it's more devastating than others I would say, but, uh, um, you you learn you you move outside of your preconceptions you become more compassionate more empathetic and I think that makes you more humble when you when you start to um, get to know people and this is why it's really part of respect for people getting to know people that are on your team and what they're going through um, I I think that makes you more humble you realize there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of things and there's a lot of circumstance around why things happen. And one big one is that the process isn't always correct, and therefore you need to focus on the process as opposed to the people.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like from what you're saying, you, you hear the phrase of something being a humbling experience, or somebody was humbled. It seems like it's something the universe, however you want to state this, the the world does to you, as opposed to somebody waking up someday and identifying a humility gap on their own. Yeah, I, I yeah,
1: I don't know if I could see that. If someone that is uh, not humble just saying, "I think I need to become more humble," I, that that would uh, that would take an exceptional individual. I think. You almost have to be smacked off the side of the head with a 2x4 sometimes to, to realize that you need to change.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's, I think, kind of a common, interesting use of the phrase. Um, you'll see somebody tweet, like, I just won some big award, and they'll say humbled. <laughs> and I don't know if that's really what that <laughs> word means, other, unless they're trying to remind themselves. <laughs> to be humble it seems like getting an award is not in and of itself a humbling experience right mm-hmm.
1: that that makes me think of you know like toyota toyota doesn't necessarily go for rewards or uh, or you know to them it's about the people and the process and improving it
0: yeah i, I doubt i mean I, I doubt anyone is criticizing toyota for never having won a shingo prize or an industry week best <laughs> plants award right mm-hmm. um, to that point, um, this question here—that's um, funny. I think maybe the question behind the question: people, uh, organizations like like measuring things. I don't know if they're asking specifically about a number, but how do you gauge your effectiveness and your happiness as a, as a professional and a person over time through the use of these methods?
1: Uh, I think that comes from reflecting on on yourself, you know, daily and uh, especially annually. You know, that, I think you can tell if you're happy or not, and if you're not happy, why is that? And reflecting on what, what is the, the root cause of that. You know, observe the current state of what is causing your unhappiness, and then uh, what are you going to do to change that? You know, you don't want to be that blunt maybe sometimes, but you do. if you do want to change it, what are the steps you're going to take uh, after you deeply study and analyze and reflect on the current state?
0: yeah, and I won't put you on the spot I'm dating myself. you You might remember the late John McLaughlin and the McLaughlin group, you know right. on SNL. Kevin Meyer, score one to ten. How happy are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I remember that show very well. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, let's see more questions here. Um, questions. Uh, I found that nothing disrupts the best of intentions for personal growth and simplicity than raising children. Um, Any experiences (laughs) or ideas with Zen or lean parenting?
1: Unfortunately, since I don't have those children, it would be hard for me to comment, but uh, I have heard that, though, that uh, um, everything pretty much goes out the window when that happens. That might be. uh, an interesting question for my business partner now raising his seventh. So.
0: Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good question for, uh, for Ron Pereira. Reach out to Ron via Twitter or uh, the Gemba Academy <laughs> website. <laughs> I don't. I, my wife and I don't have any kids, so I will also defer uh, to Ron or Greg Jacobson. They have a, They have one daughter. Um, maybe Greg can address that sometime in a. Uh, one of our Ask Us Anything webinars, I'll, but, I'll add that. You know,
1: it, it, it's interesting. Some of these concepts, you know, I, I do know that Ron has used this. In fact, there is a YouTube video of uh, him uh, teaching his kids how to empty a dishwasher in a lean yep. manner. And, uh, I've, I've seen the, that, yes,
0: through the Gemba Academy YouTube channel. Uh-huh. Um, you guys have a lot of uh, free videos out there and uh, samples and opportunities there. Um, I, I can only speak, you know, I can pass along stories from others where um, somebody uh, an architect wrote a blog post on my blog about applying lean principles at home to help i guess the the one big challenge is trying to get the kids out the door on time for school in mm-hmm. the morning um Joe Schwartz and I uh, in our book healthcare kaizen have an entire chapter about examples and stories of people applying what they learned about kaizen in the workplace applying it at home to solve problems that that mattered to them and uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely possible, but I, I think it speaks to some of your points of um, understanding the current situation, looking for something to improve, reflecting on that. If there's something you're unhappy about in your work, uh, home organization or routines, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, a couple of questions here. Um, from Sergei Some of, uh, says great presentation a lot of things he can um, try out so um, let's see if you have reactions or thoughts on any of this he said um, we're talking about handwriting Sergei says I'm writing by hand on an iPad using a couple of different apps allows me to be completely paperless so I guess the question is have, have you tried that or is that a different tactile experience even with the uh, quote-unquote Apple pencil or something
1: like that. I haven't tried it since the Apple Pencil. I, and so this would be back, probably the last time I tried it on an iPad app was a couple of years ago, when it was still basically drawing with your fingernail. <laughs> and, uh, um, and that didn't work so well. Uh, you know, the, the main hindrance to me, though, is uh, my journal, my, my paper journal, is always open on my desk. It's always with me. Uh, if I lose it, I'm dead, as compo- compared to mm. an iPad I guess. It's backed up. But it's right there. Whereas with an iPad, I have to flip the thing open, hit the home button, find the app, open the app, and uh, and then start writing. So yeah, you, know, you know, maybe I'm lazy. I don't know. But those extra two or three steps <laughs> stop me, and uh, and so I don't write. Uh, whereas I can just scribble right now, immediately. Yeah. But but I think everyone's different in that respect. I do know people that use iPad apps uh, for reflection and for journaling very well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it being too hard to open the app—I wouldn't call that lazy. It's a first-world problem, though, perhaps. <laughs> yes, that's okay. Um, do you—do you have some people are really fanatical about their journals? Do you have a—I'm not asking you to, to necessarily plug or endorse a brand. Do you have a favorite journal?
1: Uh, that you I, like? I've used Moleskine for uh, for years. I like just a blank. Uh, what is that? Maybe a you know, five by eight size, I guess. Um, anything too larger is just too cumbersome. too Smaller, I lose. Uh Uh, And it's just blank and so I can scribble in it. And I do have a process where if I have a task during the day or something I I want to get done or add to the task list, I write it down and put a little square next to it. And then uh, during my reflection once a month, I'll go through the previous pages and I'll compile the ones that I haven't checked off as done. So there's extra work that I'm doing that an iPad version probably would take care of for me. Uh-huh. But by doing so, yeah, I'm looking back at what I didn't get done. That's part of the reflective process. Why didn't I get them done? Were they too low a priority? Did they get just swallowed up? And the rest of the stuff I've been scribbling. So there are improvements that I make there.
0: Okay. Um, travel question of all of the countries you've visited, there's two questions here. Do you have, do you have a favorite country? If so, what and why, and how much time have you spent in Japan, and does that impact your views or experience with Lean?
1: Uh, favorite country, that's a, that's a good one. Um, really enjoyed Cuba last year. Bhutan was very nice. but And then probably the most surprising was Laos, where it's one of the only true communist countries I think I've visited. Um, but yet there is a tremendous amount of private enterprise there. We visited one village where, uh, it was grass huts, and in the middle of a grass hut was a TV, and in the middle of a communist country, uh, it was somehow by a satellite getting real housewives. And, and you gotta wonder, what in the world are they thinking, you know, in a communist country, in the middle of a grass hut with a, with a, you know, a a dirt floor of, you know, Real Housewives of Orange County. You know, people on it. You know, of you know, what is the perspective of the world? Um, well, I, I've been to Japan a few times, uh, both for work, and then I did uh, a, uh, one of those uh, lean tours um, uh, over there with uh, with Gimbal Research at the time, and visited several uh, companies there, and that was very influential on I me. Mean, this is back in 2008ish, 2009ish, I guess of uh, of course, everyone goes to Toyota. I saw Toyota, the Kyushu plant. Uh, you know, and what struck me there was you know, no computers on the shop floor, all manual Kanban doing mixed model production in a very efficient manner in a very high cost country, mm-hmm. and all competing you know, uh, competitors. But it was some of the other stories of um, you know, stand up desks and people where all the employees would come in and clean the facility first thing in the morning as part of their 5S program. Uh, one company, and Cosmetics, that uh, had all 1,000 people in one big room with no walls so that mm. they can improve communication. There are just those kinds of things you see that are, that are incredible that I've, that I've brought back.
0: Okay. Uh, as a follow-up, I think on the discussion about note-taking, uh, Sergey commented back, um, you might like uh, bullet journal as a, a simple way to streamline your to-do list. So that might be. Okay. I haven't I heard know. of that. I don't know if that's an app or a method. If Sergei is on line, maybe he will um, answer back about this. This is pretty interactive. Um, one other comment or, or question from Sergei um, about this idea of determining your, your personal why. He says, if you approach it from the reverse direction, what is it that you don't like that you might get closer to understanding your true motives? I um, shared a link about this. Do you, do you have any, any thoughts or reactions to that idea?
1: Um, it sort of aligns with the part of the reflection process of what do you want to stop doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and uh, I'll, I'll especially think about that on an annual basis when uh, from an organizational standpoint, that was a big part of our quarterly offsite reflective retreat. Uh, was what do we want to stop doing? And, and, and so that is things that are we re- determined to be wasteful or damaging, I guess. Um, and there has been quite a bit, of, you know, from a personal standpoint, some personal growth of things that I wasn't happy with myself for doing, you know, eating habits, for example, or something along those lines that I, you know, I, I knew were bad. You know, you know we're bad all along. But you have to take that reflective time of just sitting back going, yes, I know I know if that's bad. And I'm going to do something about it now uh, to, to actually make changes.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting point you bring up there, the difference between knowing logically or in part of our brain knowing something is bad, but that not necessarily leading to change. I, I haven't had a chance to see the recording yet, but the Lean Enterprise Institute hosted a webinar, a former Toyota guy, Ron Oslin, who who works in um, kind of the service sector now. But um, this is something I've read about and this idea. Um, his presentation is about this approach called motivational, in, motivational interviewing. and as a way of uh, it's a method that was used to help counsel people with addictions. Where let's say, if somebody who's addicted to drugs, it might they'll, they'll, they'll say, or they think you'd even say out loud that you know they should stop doing that. But then you have all the counterbalancing reasons of why, they're going mm-hmm. to continue doing that and instead of shaming the person or uh, you know, trying to tell them what to do, um, this process really uses a lot of questions to guide the person being counseled to articulate the reasons why and, and long story short, I mean kind of getting to a point where the, the reasons to change outweigh the reasons not to change
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and getting out of that point of being stuck and you know, he, he's, I, I think there's interesting thoughts so about applying this to the workplace. Leaders can say, I know I need to stop giving people answers, but, man, when we're in a rush and I've got no choice, I need to jump in and tell them what to do. And yeah. There's a lot of interesting. Similar
1: to, you know, you, you always have time to fix things, but you never have time for improvement.
0: <laughs> right. I, people say all the time, we don't have time for improvement, but I've never heard anyone say, I don't have time for firefighting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Um, kind of final. There's uh, a, a comment from Sergey. Maybe we'll wrap up. Um, what I was saying uh, is less about what to stop, and more about what upsets you in reversing the meaning of the discovered cause. Meaning, very likely, it would produce the understanding of the value that does bring you satisfaction and powers up your motivation.
1: So, hmm. that's an interesting idea. Yeah, I think that that would be uh, as you're looking at something that you're doing that you, you're not happy with, you're right, digging into that in terms of why are you still doing it, and then truly understanding that would lead to change. Yeah. yeah.
0: Something to reflect on, right? <laughs> yep. So with that, uh, I want to thank everybody for uh, attending today. We had really good turnout today. Um, would encourage you to um, take a look at the, uh, the recording and, and stuff that will be sent out. We'll share that. Um, hope you'll join us on May 16th for our next webinar and uh, hopefully you'll go and check out the webinar library at kinexus.com slash webinars and also want to thank um, Kevin Meyer for uh, interesting thought-provoking um, set of reflections and presentations today. Kevin, do you have a, a final word to sort of leave people
1: with? Uh, not really, but just take the time at the end of the day and just just find some quiet time and just think about what happened. I, I think it's we're, we're always in such a rush, and then we get tired and we go straight to bed, but that that few minutes, even if it's just five minutes, is so incredibly powerful.
0: Well, great advice. There's something uh, for everyone to, to think about. Maybe give it a shot, a small test of change. So on behalf of the Kinexus team, everybody uh, on our side, uh, this is Mark Graven. I'm thanking you again for joining us on today's webinar.